Backyard Green Films is proud to present this episode of Agriculture with your host, Alara Bowman. Alara and her husband, Rick, travel throughout the land in their teardrop trailer that they have nicknamed Maggie, bringing you stories about their travels and the people they meet. They visit farmers, ranchers, and just about anyone who loves putting their hands in the dirt or their feet in stirrups. For the past three years, they have been filming a documentary about heritage breed animals entitled The Holstein Dilemma, Heritage Breeds, and the Need for Biodiversity. In those travels, they have gotten to meet some very interesting people. Here's one of those interviews. Hi, this is Alara, and welcome back to our podcast. Last week, we shared a few of our adventures at the National Western Stock Show and interviews with some of the people we met. This week, we'll cover the history part for all of those who wondered how it got started. First, though, let me start with a little bit about the weather. We're recording this on the last few days of December, and there's rain in the air yet again here in San Diego. It's a month that we San Diegans appreciate for many reasons, but a big one for me is that we get to pretend we understand the concept of weather for just a few days a year. This December, we've had at least three big storms that have brought quite a bit of very much welcomed rain to our city and to the state in general. Weather is one of those things that we Southern Californians don't get to often see, even if we sometimes very much want some sort of precipitation to fall from the sky, if you please. You would figure that with almost four years of travel under our belts for the Holstein Dilemma documentary, in pretty much every month of the year and every part of the country, that we would be completely over that happy feeling that we get as Californians when we see the weather. Rain? Check. Wind? Check, check, check. <laughs> That's a sound guy joke, by the way. Get it? <laughs> okay, so maybe we spent a long time on the road and maybe too much. Anyway, fog? Check. Freezing cold? Check. Blazing heat? Check. Humidity, lightning, sleet, hail, overflowing rivers, mud, and pretty much every type of weather. We can say we've seen it in our travels. But the one thing we haven't actually seen a whole lot of is snow. It's kind of weird, huh? We've had flight delays or cancellations more than we've liked, but we didn't actually get to see the stuff that created it. We saw a little bit in Kansas on one trip on the way out to visit Matt DeVader, but it was kind of the afterwards part where there's an inch covering the ground and nothing coming from the sky. It was gone within about 50 miles or so on the road. That said, the one time it came down in a mad rush was our trip to Denver, Colorado in January of 2018, during our trip to see the National Western Stock Show. It was perfect snow even then, as the weather in Denver was cool but sunny for the three days up to that while we lugged the camera gear and microphones around the barns and the pens. The skies waited to start the show until right before we left. We woke up that last morning to head to the Denver airport, and there was enough snow on the ground to make us wonder if we'd be making it to the freeway. By the time we boarded the plane, there were flight cancellation notices on all the boards, and we were one of the last flights out. It was probably a pain for most everyone else in Denver, but it was truly magical for a California girl. I know that it wouldn't have nearly been quite so magical sleeping on the floor at the airport, but I'll choose to ignore that part. Thank you, Denver, for one of the most enjoyable livestock shows I've ever been to, and also 
for the natural display we saw on the way out as well. This month we'll be featuring more podcasts from Colorado. It's one of our absolute favorite states here in the U.S., and we could go back every month for the next 10 years and still not see all of it. The associations that most people might have when you mention Colorado might be things like the Rocky Mountains or wildlife or skiing. Maybe it's the Broncos or legal marijuana or that big crazy airport in the middle of nowhere or Coors or NORAD. Maybe it's that river that goes to the state that ends up here in California. You know, that one that we kind of take for granted but are really, really, really dependent on? But the association that might be new to some people, but that is apparent wherever you travel in that state, is that Colorado is chock full of agriculture. And this agricultural connection of the ranching kind is unmistakable when you hit Denver. It's palpable in the vicinity of the National Western Center. And you feel like you've gone back in time when you stand in the old stockyards and look over the wooden pens by the railhead. The history of the National Western Show and the site is pretty interesting. If you'd like more information, you can find the links to all the websites we mention and the places we get our information at the bottom of the podcast introduction. But we'll give you the Reader's Digest version here of what you'll find at nationalwestern.com and at nationalwesterncenter.com sites. Here's how the whole thing got started. There's the National Western Center, the location, and the National Western Stock Show, the event. First, the location. With the settlers coming west at a good clip and Denver's central location, the cattle industry boomed in the early days. There was quite a bit of buying and selling going on. In 1881, the Denver Union Stockyard Company was founded as the central place to do business. This is what would eventually evolve into the National Western Center, and it was a perfect spot to ship cattle around the country, as it had three major rail lines, and it was situated right next to the South Platte River. Soon, they built wooden stock pens. There is an elevated walkway to look down on the cattle and an animal transport bridge over the river. In 1898, they built the Denver Union Stockyard Exchange Building, and added to it over the next 20 years. This big brick building was the operations hub and housed the Colorado State Farm Bureau and the local branch of the U.S. Bureau of Ag Economics, among other things. This four-story, architecturally detailed building was impressive, and it was supposed to be. It was a sign of the livestock industry's stature and success in the community. So this area was humming along 24-7, and not just with cattle. They had sheep and pigs and probably any other livestock that might be bought and sold going through. Then their peripheral businesses went up. Packing plants, barns, smelters, water towers, and every other related thing joined the chorus and built in the areas around the center. And then the event part started. In 1905, the Denver Livestock Commission merchants, stockyards company executives, packers and cattlemen got together and picked a site to start a show, which was, of course, the Denver Stockyards and at the National Western Center spot. 1906 saw the first National Western Stock Show opener. It was held under a big circus tent, with everyone who might have any thought of buying or selling or looking at livestock showing up, about 15,000 people over six days. The public was offered free admission, so that probably helped. 
Apparently, the auction was an immediate success because the Grand Champion Steer sold for 33 cents a pound at a time when the market price was 10 cents a pound. And don't ask me why they chose the end of January for the event, because if you've ever been to Denver in January, it's beautiful, but it's usually cold, cold, with a little bit of cold. 1906 was also the year the show incorporated as a nonprofit, and it changed its name to the Western Stock Show Association. Technically, I believe that's the name it is today. From that point through 1910, things started to speed up. They added a horse division to the show. They added more and more events and buildings and hot dogs on a stick. Okay, so maybe not that last part, but the rest of it, yes. A new pavilion went up, and this was a pretty big deal for the time. It had steel columns and a high ceiling, and it could seat 6,000 people around the arena area, and it cost $200,000. That was a lot in 1909. That building is still there, by the way. And then came cattle breeds like Aberdeen Angus, Hereford, and Shorthorn. The horse show included drafts and saddlebreds. They started to charge admission, 25 cents, and the attendance was expected to reach 100,000. The 1910s brought more buildings and the first poultry show and a beef carcass contest, but it also had a few bumps. There were two years of really bad weather, so not many could get to the show. And then, in 1915, the whole show was canceled due to an epidemic of hoof and mouth disease, and no one was allowed to bring animals across state lines. Then the Great Depression started to hit around the country in 1926, and things were pretty subdued for a bit. They started the Catch-A-Calf Contest, and then throughout the 40s and 50s came the Quarter Horse Show and Sale, a new coliseum, expansion from six to nine days, and the inclusion of Appaloosa horses, Palominos, and Arabians. The National Western Center site said that things didn't slow down for them at that location until 1950, when buying and selling trends impacted the yards and reduced the flow of livestock in and out, in favor of smaller feedlots further from central Denver. And even though the show was running strong, they had outgrown the existing arena. The center put up the Denver Coliseum in 1950, and they continued to add new facilities and buildings to house expos, barns, displays, and structures to highlight increasing agricultural diversity in the Colorado region. In the 1960s, livestock entries topped the 4,000 mark, and Charolais cattle and paint and pinto horse classes arrived. In 1970, attendance hit 200,000. The 70s brought some excitement, including the story of Big Mac, the grand champion steer. We'll tell you about that one a little later. This show is nothing if not interesting throughout its history. The National Sheep Shearing Contest came in. The girls got to join the Catch a Calf Contest, and attendance hit 240,000. The Broncos went to the Super Bowl right about that time, and attendance dropped by over 12,000. Pigskin, but not pigskin. Then the 1980s. We're now at 22 cattle breeds and have brought in the bison. It was a 12-day event and then 14. They revived the parade concept and they started up a scholarship fund. The auction hit a new high with a record sale of a Hereford bull for $301,000, which still stands. Attendance hit half a million. Dog weight pulls began 
and a volunteer program was established. Then, the 90s. One of my very favorite things is introduced, mutton busting. If you don't know what that is, check out our Backyard Green Films YouTube channel. It's the cutest thing ever. Anyway, Chorus starts an art exhibit benefit for the scholarship fund. They add a Mexican rodeo extravaganza and the working stock dog competition. Apparently, drug tests aren't limited to human athletes because they had to toss out the grand champion steer and reserve champion for illegal use of clenbuterol, a drug apparently used for enhancement in show cattle. By 1996, we're now at 16 days, 23 rodeo performances, 11 horse shows, two Mexican rodeo extravaganzas, the new show An Evening of Dancing Horses, and a partridge in a pear tree. 600,000 people. The rest of the decade ends with 23 breeds of cattle showing, in addition to a family fun night and a Wild West show, and expansion of the dancing horse show thing. And then in 1998, National Western went online for the first time. Al Gore made it happen. Okay, so that was tongue-in-cheek. Ask your mom if you don't know what that meant. Or maybe your grandma. Anyway, they bought some real estate, added parking, added elk and yak sales to the livestock categories, and an Olympic qualifying competition for the U.S. equestrian team. The I-70 put a freeway exit in and really connected things in 2000 for the center. More growth. Through 2010, we had new shows and classes all over the place. Dairy cow milking exhibition, wild horse races, stick horse rodeo, more scholarships, miniature Hereford cattle, and boar goat and antique tractor shows. We're up to 16 six-horse hitch entries, two sold-out Mexican rodeo extravaganzas, the Colorado Rocky Mountain Fiddle Championships, and the new concept of sales for ticketed performances. The Gambler's Choice opening jumping stake, two pro rodeos, and Super Dogs events do very well. Clinics start up, and they start video feeds on the auctions. When they hit the 100-year anniversary in 2006, over 725,000 people attend the 16-day show. The Grand Champion Steer went for $58 per pound, or $75,000. The African-American Heritage Rodeo debuts. The Six Hitch World Championships were held, as well as the American Quarter Horse Association Versatility Ranch Horse World Championship Show. The Donkey and Mule Show had a contest to pick the 2008 mascot for the Democratic National Convention held in Denver. Heifers are shown for the market division for the first time, and one of them is chosen as reserve grand champion. Wow. All in the same general spot as it started out on in 1906. So by 2011, the center again was faced with a realization that the need was there to expand or move. After some urban planning and a coordination with the city of Denver and the show, the center decided to go big in their current location. They feel that the National Western Stock Show is, and I quote, the Super Bowl of stock shows. I kind of agree. They're adapting to meet the needs of the future. The city of Denver easily passed a few good-sized bond issues to help with the process, and off they went. The land expansion and development began, and that pretty much puts us where we are today. 
The last 10 years of this show have included more rodeo events, a nursery display, barbecue contests, goat roping, increases in attendance, and some pretty impressive auction numbers. The National Western Scholarship Trust is increasing the number of agricultural scholarship awards. And the main streets of Denver still shut down for the Longhorn Parade. This month, we'll be posting some more stories about the National Western and the glorious state of Colorado. We'll talk about the drunken cowboys that almost got the event canceled before it started. The scandalous saga of Big Mac and the shoe polish. That whole thing behind tea at the Brown Palace. And maybe even the thing behind why I'm pretty sure those old stock photos of the National Western Show at the Denver Coliseum might have my dad in there somewhere. Hopefully without a can of shoe polish in his hand. Life is interesting. I hope you come along with us on the road. If you liked our podcast, please subscribe. This is how we keep going. And please tell your friends to join us. Please feel free to post any questions or comments that you might have to our social media sites. Our Twitter feed is at Backyard Green Films, spelled B-K-Y-R-D-G-R-E-E-N-F-I-L-M-S. Our Instagram is at Backyard Green Films, B-A-C-K-Y-A-R-D-G-R-E-E-N-F-I-L-M-S. Our Facebook is Backyard Green Films. Our YouTube URL is youtube.com Backyard Green Films. We hope you enjoyed our story this week about the history of the National Western Stock Show. If you'd like more information, please visit their website at nationalwestern.com. You have been listening to Agriculture with your host, Alara Bowman. Please tune in for more upcoming episodes from our travels. I'm Rick Bowman, your behind-the-scenes editor. Until next time. Again, please like and subscribe to our podcast so we can continue to bring you more stories and interviews like the one you just heard. This has been a presentation of Backyard Green Films Productions, all rights reserved, copyright 2019.